Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. When was the last time you thought about yourself as an unlovable person, unworthy, a mess? No matter where we are, the time of the day, or who we are with, there are times in which our mind is going to be criticizing us relentlessly. And sometimes we spend hours and hours engaging on those thoughts, We try to prove our worth and we do all types of things to come up with positive thoughts about ourselves. Criticizing ourselves is a popular playing it safe move. Every time we experience some form of discomfort because of stress, anxiety, worries or fear, we play it safe. Sometimes our playing it safe moves are adaptive and other times are not. When we spend hours and hours criticizing ourselves, we are not taking action. We are not facing what needs to be faced. We are not doing what we need to be doing and we are not doing what matters. Think about it. It is natural that at times we criticize ourselves as a way to motivate action as a way to encourage us to make a shift. And sure, at times, being harsh with ourselves may work. But what about the other times when you spend hours and hours feeling miserable because you got hooked on all those negative thoughts about yourself? In this interview, I asked Dr. Christopher Willard how to handle self-criticism. Chris is a psychologist and educational consultant based in Boston, and he specializes in mindfulness and compassion-focused therapy. He has been practicing meditation for 20 years and has led hundreds and hundreds of workshops around the world. He currently serves on the board of directors at the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy and is the president of the Mindfulness in Education Network. He has presented at TEDx and his work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mindful.org and other newspapers. He is the author of 19 books. That's right. He wrote 19 books. Amazing. In my conversation with Chris, you will hear about the purpose or function of self-criticism. Why do we do it? 
the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem, how to handle thoughts like harsh criticism motivates me or I don't deserve to be kind with myself. You're also going to listen the difference between gratitude practices and toxic positivity. What is the default mode network? And you're going to hear a preview of Chris's upcoming book on resilience. I have to say that this was a super fun conversation with Chris. I absolutely love his work. And to be honest, I am counting the days to read his new book on resilience. As you listen to this conversation, I want to ask you for patience because at the beginning of it, there are two moments in which there is some background noise. Not a lot, not very loud, but you may notice that. I hope you understand and thank you in advance for your flexibility. And one more thing. If the content of the podcast Plan It Safe has been helpful to you and you have learned one skill from these episodes, I will very much appreciate if you could please write a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps because who doesn't need acceptance and commitment skills? They are life-changing. Have a good day and see you next week. Bye-bye. So one of the things that I encounter in my work with overachievers and overthinkers is that at times they get stuck in their heads criticizing themselves. If something goes wrong or things don't go as they expect, they start getting hooked and consumed with thoughts like, what's wrong with me? I am an idiot. I am a mess. I am a failure. And we know that within behavior therapy, we like to understand the function or the purpose of a particular action. So Chris, Here's my question for you. What is the function or the purpose of self-criticism? How do you see it? Yeah, I think for a lot of us, we, especially who are high achievers, we've, we've gotten really far in life. And, and part of that has been due to having this kind of intense self-critical voice telling us that we can do more, that we should do more, that we're, we're not good enough. And in many ways that allows us to achieve and get a lot of things done. But for a lot of us, at some point, that ends up creating that diminishing returns or we start to feel bad about ourselves and no amount of external success in the house and the job and the this or the that, you know, is able to actually satisfy us. And that critical voice just keeps going. And so it really ends up then making us feel worse about ourselves. I have all this stuff. I have all these achievements, but I still don't feel like a good person. And I'm still comparing myself. Well, that person over there has got more and that person over there has got more. And this is partly wired into us. We Mm -hmm. have evolved with what's called the default mode network in our brain. And when the brain is kind of doing nothing, what happens is it goes to the future and it goes to planning or it goes to the past and it goes to regretting or trying to figure out how we can do something differently next time. And the third place it goes is to comparing ourselves to other people. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Patricia, but but for me, when I compare myself to other people, like I usually feel a lot worse. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you've got it better. They're a better therapist. They're a better right. And so you know, it's wired into us because again, like historically, you know, and you know, ancient times or you know, kind of caveman times, we needed to kind of know, you know, is it safe? Where do I stand? Are they going to like cut me out of the tribe? You know, all these things. We have to kind of have that voice being, you know, keep up with the rest of the pack, keep up with the rest of the tribe, don't get left behind. But in the modern world, like we still mm-hmm. have it and it's really harsh. And it's oftentimes for different people. It could be, you know, maybe that voice is an echo of our parents or caregivers. Maybe it's an echo of the larger society saying, you know, you should mm-hmm. do more, you should parent this way, you should be a therapist that way, or you should make this much money or have that kind of house. Or maybe there's other elements to it, like, you know, you're not good enough because of, you know, where you come from or the color of your skin or these other kinds of identity markers that we get from the larger society as well as from our caregivers. And that really can mess us up um, <laughs> when it gets toxic. So it can sometimes be helpful. But at some point, it really doesn't help us much and actually makes us feel a lot worse, as I'm sure most of your listeners know. That's right. That's right. And I totally relate to that. Um, During COVID, I started riding my bike. And it has been a lifesaver. It helps my mood, cleans my Mm -hmm. head. And every Sunday, I'm going for this bike ride over the mountain. I love it. But the mind plays tricks because as I am pedaling, I look above and there is a biker riding faster and moving fast. And my mind compares, oh, I have much better bikers than myself. So I totally relate that if I get hooked on those thoughts, I actually feel discouraged. I feel more frustrated with myself. If people are listening to us and they are dealing with these self-criticizing thoughts, what will be three micro skills that you will encourage them to practice, given your training of mindfulness and self-compassion? What could they do? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think for some people, it can be really helpful to try to understand where this voice is coming from. Mm-hmm. and. I think extending compassion to this voice rather than fighting mm-hmm. it, like that this voice is actually trying to protect us oftentimes mm-hmm. is trying to help us, you know, get more money so we can get more houses, so we can get more shelter, so we can get more food, so we can stay alive, so we can reproduce, so we can have all these, you know, kind of evolutionary um, needs met that are also, of course, sort of like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs met also mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, and so knowing that oftentimes that voice is trying to help us do that, but again, it gets, it can really go off the rails, right. In terms of like, well, you need more and you're not doing enough and you're a bad person and you're not a good. And so just understanding where it comes from, whether it's Mm -hmm. a bit of evolution or whether it's a bit of, oh, you know, this kind of sounds like that, that teacher I had who said I would never amount to anything. And, you know, that's part of what drives me for better or for worse as a a person, (laughs) some professors who weren't so nice to me, Um, you know, or, you know, maybe this is, you know, a caregiver, maybe this is society. And, you know, so knowing that, I think just recognizing that helps. Mm -hmm. And then I think finding ways to, when we slow down with mindfulness, with more contemplative self-compassion practices, what starts to happen is that we can then not fight with that voice, but we can also then start to listen deeply and maybe hear a more mm-hmm. compassionate voice. Mm-hmm. Maybe some, you know, a, a, a parent who was more loving or was occasionally able to be more kind of kind and compassionate or a 
grandparent or a nice teacher who believed in us or a coach and start to hear a bit of echoes of that voice or something internal to us. And we can start to start to turn the volume up a little bit on that voice and listen to that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And start to compare, oh, here's this kind of harsh voice and the tone and the words that I hear from that harsh voice saying I'm not good enough. And then start to listen to the tone and the words that are used by this more compassionate voice that we do. It can, it can take a lot of searching to find, but I think many of us really do have that in there somewhere. Um, and we can start to spark that and learn how to grow that voice um, so that we have a bit more of a balance. Because again, that, that inner critic sometimes, you know, it helps us get off to work that day and hey, that's great, but we don't need uh -huh. it to yelling at us the whole day that we're at work right that's so right that balance of that kind of angel and devil on our shoulder like in the the cartoons growing up and things like mm -hmm. that of, mm -hmm. of how we motivate ourselves yeah i love that you are clarifying that this voice even though it's very overprotective and very annoying it's really trying to take care of ourselves Chris, if I am next to you, let's say that we are chatting and you start having thoughts about a professor being better than you or a professor having more students and your mind gets hooked on that, how would you coach yourself to handle that moment? What would you tell yourself in those moments that is gentle and you can tap into this caring voice towards yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think when I hear some of those voices of, you know, you're not a good writer, you won't amount to anything. I think, you know, there mm. is also with mindfulness, one of the things that's very powerful or has been very powerful for me over the last 20 years or so is that I don't, there's that bumper sticker that says, don't believe everything you think, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's just a thought. And I think saying that thought's not true. Mm. I think even just saying that thought might not be true. So mm -hmm. like, maybe I won't ever amount to anything, but it, it might not be true right? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. Even just introducing a little bit of doubt, mm -hmm. <laughs> creating a little bit of space around it like that. Well, that's maybe just that professor's opinion, or maybe that's just, you know, that not so nice teacher, that bully from middle school's opinion or something. Um, and, and yet I also know deeper in inside of myself that, you know, I, I can, you know, sort of be, be happy, be satisfied with myself, you know, kind of amount to something or, or achieve things. And I want to be careful. I'm, I'm slowing down as I say that, because I also want to be clear that, you know, what we really want for true happiness is not, not those external measures of success. Like it is nice to have a house and a car and, you know, eat, you know, eat good food and things like that. But mm -hmm. it also, we know that actually when we set internal measures of success rather than external measures of success, like when we set learning goals rather than achievement goals, like, yeah. you know, I do a lot of writing to me, writing is really, you know, I mean, it's, it's complicated. I have a complicated relationship to it. Sometimes it feels like it's about achievement, but really when I write something, my intention, I try to keep my intention around, Hey, I really want to learn something. Mm -hmm. And I started writing because in grad school, it's like, Oh, they make us write papers about this. Right. And it's so that you consolidate your knowledge. So like recently I was like, you know what? I, I really want to learn about, self-compassion and trauma and I could just read a bunch but I'm going to learn the most about it if I write a book and maybe someone will publish it but if I just do the writing then I'm going mm -hmm. to learn that topic really deeply and so to me that's an internal goal and then it is like don't get me wrong it is really nice to kind of have that external you know thing that I can kind of brag about too all of our motives are mixed of course yep. but I think when I set my goal around hey this here's something I really want to learn 
or someone asked me to give a talk recently and I was like, I really want to learn more about the neuroscience of communication. Can I give a talk on that? And I was like, mm-hmm. like sure. I was like, well, maybe I'll bomb it, but like, I'm going to learn a lot in the process. It's not just about getting to give this talk. It's about, Hey, this is, this is helping me learn. So setting mm-hmm. internal goals of quote unquote achievement or internal standards, rather than I make this much money or I, I, I marry someone who looks like this or my kids get these grades or all these <laughs> things that we do, right? We can try to bring in a few more of those internal measures um, of success and of happiness and um, what it is that we really want to grow from, um, mm-hmm. that kind of growth goals or you could put this in the Carol Dweck, like fixed mindset versus growth mindset, or you could put this as self-esteem, which is external measures versus self-compassion, which is more internal measures um, of, of the, the things we want to, the, the values we want to live and the, the kind of quote unquote goals we want to achieve. Yeah. That's right. I love the rich response. Um, within acceptance and commitment therapy, one of the things that we encourage people and we try to live by is always going back to our values. Always asking what's behind this writing, what's behind this interview, this conversation we're having. And in the world with overachievers and overthinkers, I think it's important to distinguish whether they are putting their attention into achieving an outcome that we don't Mm -hmm. have control of, or they're paying attention to the process. How it feels when you are writing? What does writing do for you? That's, I think, a huge distinction. Um, As you were talking, in the background of my mind, there were some of the responses I hear back from my clients when I'm Uh talking about slowing down and looking at this self-criticizing voice. Sometimes they have tell me things like, are you out of your mind? (laughs) 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 Are you out of your mind? Because when I am self-critical, I motivate myself and I actually do better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have also heard responses that they say, I don't deserve to be kind with myself. I will let myself off the hook if I am Mm, caring and gentle. How will you handle these different responses? What will you tell people if they are dealing with those thoughts? Yeah, what I try to do is I try to invite people into, I get that this voice has gotten you far. It's gotten you the degrees on your wall. It's gotten you the house, the car, the husband, the wife, you know, whatever, these things. Mm-hmm. But I also know that you're here in therapy because something's <laughs> not working. Well, if it's going great, I'm going to go to therapy on top of it, right? That doesn't usually happen, right? So something's right. not working. <laughs> um and creating more unhappiness for you. So let's think about mm-hmm. how can, and this is where I like to say, let's introduce this other voice too, mm-hmm. and see which of these voices is gonna be most helpful for different situations. Like that voice might get you a lot done at work, but that voice might not be so good in your family life or in your social life, right? Or in, the, in these other you know aspects of your life or in the addiction you're recovering from or in the you know anxiety that you're struggling with because you're, beating yourself up about something you don't have, you know, that, so I think like introducing it as like, well, let's try to bring in this other voice. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's kind of like a emotional way in. And then I think we can also give people the research, which really does say, you know, like, look, this doesn't lower our standards. Like we know the research on self-compassion and Chris Germer and Kristen Neff, like they've found that it actually like helps people raise their standards. They take more risks because they are less afraid of failure. Um, they're more likely to, um, you know, kind of have a a soft cushion when they make a mistake 
um, because they speak to themselves in a kinder way. Like, okay, you made a mistake. Let's learn from it. Let's do better next time. Rather than like, oh, you idiot, right? We know that actually shuts down the creativity in the brain when we're kind of abusive to ourselves or turns off the, the, you know, the, the kind of fight response onto ourselves like that, you know, doesn't let us think clearly. It doesn't let us problem solve, right? It, it opens up our minds more being too harsh on ourselves when we have setbacks from things like addictions or, 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 you know, eating unhealthfully, like actually when we're a bit kinder to ourselves, we know that that actually helps people to not relapse from behaviors that they're not so happy about. So there's the, there's the, 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 the research side of it. And mm-hmm. then I think there's also this side of it. That's like, we don't have to get rid of that voice, but let's also try this other voice and see if it helps. Maybe it won't help you at work, but it'll help you in your marriage. Maybe it won't help you in, you know, your, 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 you know, friendships, but maybe it'll help you in your, um, you know, recovery from addiction or, you know, so, so experimenting like, well, let's, that voice hasn't worked here. Let's try this other voice. I absolutely love it. I think many times my clients have listened messages that, oh, you have to be kind with yourself, let go of your standards. And they feel very invalidated and alienated by those messages. So I think really appreciating that perhaps in certain contexts, situations, that voice may have been helpful. Mm-hmm. But maybe the other settings in which it's not, right? That's what you're suggesting, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, if I can ask a little bit about this, I noticed that when my clients go into this self-criticizing mode, and certainly I have been there, our whole body goes on edge, right? We're like, yes, ah, yeah, right? right. Ah. Totally. Yep. And what happens is when we practice gentleness, my body and my mind just slow down a little bit. Then I can choose better. I can move into what's next better. Yeah. So I think you're describing that in some way that self-criticism will actually activate more this fight response and maybe for some people freezing responses. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And we know when the, the, when the, the limbic system gets activated, the stress response, also known as the fight or flight response, and also basically the trauma response, right, gets activated, it, it shuts all that down. And our bodies, yes. as you said, they tense up, our breath becomes dysregulated, our heart rate variability becomes dysregulated, our ability to do critical thinking, our ability to problem solve, our ability to think in complex and nuanced ways, all shuts down. The negativity bias, which we all walk around with, which says the world is more dangerous than it is, we mm-hmm. turn that on ourselves everything's my fault as opposed to like, well, I made a mistake, but I didn't, you know, I didn't cause everything. Right. So it, it actually really does. We, we get into that self-critical mode, our nervous system changes, our body changes. And, yes. and we like kind of literally attack ourselves both physically sometimes, you know, with, yeah. with addictions and, and, and cutting or self-harm or other risky behaviors. And also we're, you know, not doing our heart and our breath rate a service either at the same time for physical health, but we're attacking ourselves, of course, psychologically, like you're such an idiot. Why are you so terrible at the right? And, and none of these really, like they might create some short-term change, mm-hmm. but they leave us on edge all the time. And they don't really create the foundation for a long-term real lasting change. The same way we say to parents, like, you know, don't like, you know, it's like, okay, we all yell at our kids sometimes, right? I feel you know, I have to admit, right. But like, you know, <laughs> it's human, it's human. Time, the more it like sinks in, right? Mm-hmm. Yelling at them when they're standing, you know, on top of the shed, like that gets them off the shed, right? But then we reconnect with them. Hey, here's why, you know, like I'm not mad. I was just scared. 
right? Like, here's why it's not safe to jump around on the shed with sharp knives, whatever it might be. <laughs> and we do that to ourselves. Like when we're not in fight or flight mode, it's actually, we learn more. So mm-hmm. our brains have more plasticity. Our brains are more likely to change and yeah. decide I'm not going to go down that path anymore. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it just works on so many levels more effectively often than the, than just the beating ourselves up all the time. That's yeah. true. If we have to have a miserable life, we should criticize ourselves 24 <laughs> seven. You mentioned something that I think will be helpful to unpack a little bit. So one way to handle these self-criticizing thoughts will be by trying a new voice, a new way of coaching ourselves, a new way of relating to ourselves. How will that voice sound and look? Like what will I tell myself in those moments? Or what would you tell yourself when your mind goes into comparing and anticipating (laughs) doom and doom scenarios? Well, I'll be honest, on a good day, it goes one way. On a, on a not so good day, it goes another way. Love, <laughs> love the honest response. Love it, love it. Absolutely love it. So, you know, on a good day, I think it is it, it is love like it. able to kind of reel it back, take perspective. Again, we're not in fight or flight mm. mode. We can actually take perspective. We mm-hmm. see ourselves as like human and flawed and trying to, to do better, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I yeah. made a mistake. It doesn't have to end my day. I can regret it. I can wish I'd done better, but I don't have to have it ruin the rest of my day. I can move on more quickly and I can figure out how do I, I I'm going to be super annoying. And I'm going to, the title of my new book is called how we grow through what we go through. Right. But how can oh I my grow goodness. through um, <laughs> the experience of like, okay, I, I made a mistake or this difficult thing happened to me. How can it be something that I, that I learn from um, in some way? And again, not everything has a lesson to it, but, mm-hmm. but often when we make a mistake, it can be, what do I do differently next time, right? How mm-hmm. do I make a different choice going forward? And how do I regulate myself in this critical voice so that I can make a better choice going forward next time? And to me, that, that can start with more self-kindness. And I even feel like over the past, you know, I started meditating 25 years ago or something, Mm-hmm. sort of practicing self-compassion more regularly um, 10 or 12 years ago. And, and I do feel like I've still got an inner critic, mm-hmm. but it's gone from, I don't know what language I can use on your show, but like, it's gone from like, you fucking asshole, you fuck everything up to like, oh, like, you know, like you bozo, you screwed it up. Like it's, okay. it's, like, so it's not perfect, but it's like, you know, it's changed or it's like, it. okay, no big deal. You know, or I, I mean, again, you know, it can be more salty than that, but I think that's some of where the change has come. And other days it's like, okay, like I, I, I've got other successes that have, have worked, you know, I'll figure out, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll not give up, but I'll figure out how to just, you know, approach this differently um the next time and I think when I look to that like with more positivity it's like then also more opportunities to arrive to to act differently as well it's like oh I I messed up this talk or I messed up with this patient but another one Mm -hmm. has come along and maybe I can do better this time and (laughs) and help them you know the the next person that comes um down the road and that that feels good because it feels like then I can see the progress kind of happening in some ways yeah what i love a lot of your response is that gaining perspective and treating ourselves with kindness means also holding the multiple layers of reality and that 
right? It's like sometimes we make mistakes, but also we were very caring and we can have sweet moments with people and there are other activities when we just do them well. But it's holding right. all those pieces, coexisting together versus yeah. overly focusing to I did wrong, <laughs> I mess up. Right. Absolutely. 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 You mentioned a new book. Will it be okay we can get a preview of what this book is about? I love previews of books. <laughs> if <laughs> no, it's okay. I'll send you a, a PDF of it too. It's, oh, know, I love it's it. out for a couple of months, but I've got the, the, um, the digital copy of it already. Yeah, I'm super excited. It came out of the pandemic, um, hmm. you know, going from like giving talks about mindfulness and mindfulness in kids to suddenly doing a lot of work with different companies, you know, more working with grownups um, who are struggling so much. And being asked to talk about trauma and mental health and mm-hmm. um, just feeling, yeah, like, so I, and, and so it's, it's, it's called how we grow through what we go through um, a self-compassionate guide to post-traumatic growth, which is a, a very long title. Um, but, Love but it. what started to happen as I was doing these talks about trauma was mm-hmm. I started to learn actually post-traumatic stress disorder actually happens in a much smaller percentage of people than what's called post-traumatic growth which is that people often come through difficult experiences stronger, more resilient, more insightful, more spiritual, um, happier, better relationships, more connected. Um, and so I started to look at, you know, what are some of the conditions that, that can create post-traumatic growth? And also that post-traumatic mm-hmm. growth and post-traumatic stress can actually happen simultaneously. Um, and they also kind of happen on, you know, hard to know timelines. I don't want to say everyone should experience that, right? It's not about that. But the book kind of walks through, like, what are some, it kind of t- takes a biopsychosocial model, which mm-hmm. is you know, a fancy way of saying, like, how do you take care of your body with mm-hmm. mindfulness and self-compassion? What are some practices for your body to regulate your nervous system? What are some cognitive practices for your brain? A lot of mindfulness, a lot of act actually in there mm-hmm. too kind of to get more clear seeing yep. gratitude, positive psychology. Mm. And then lastly, what's the role of positive, compassionate relationships in our lives, wow. starting with ourselves, self-compassion, and then how do we build more collective compassion and heal in community? Because we really do need to heal in community, whether it's in a, a one-on-one therapeutic relationship or in a group or in a activist community or in a in a church or a synagogue or a you know local who knows what you know group of friends mm-hmm. right? that there are these ways that actually how we need to heal is in community and in turn we then heal our communities at the same time um which i think all of us probably feel in these past few years like we're watching everywhere in the globe just more polarization and people angrier at each other and how can we start to come back together and, and reconnect these these fabrics of our of our society, you know, starting with our families and then our larger communities? Because we need to. <laughs> so we need to. Such a hot topic. I love the idea and I would definitely love to take a pic to your book. I love that previous. <laughs> um, question for you. One of the things that perhaps COVID exposed us at a global level is that unexpected things happened. Bad mm-hmm. things happen to good people. We weren't prepared. We didn't know. And you're right. To your point is that to be human is to live with this unpredictable and uncertain world. And we can handle that by being harsh with ourselves. Or we can handle that by developing a caring and gentle relationship with ourselves. 
And you mentioned gratitude as one of the components of post-traumatic growth. How will that look? How can a person, if people are listening to us and they would like to get a flavor of how gratitude practices look and sound, what would you encourage them to try? Yeah, and I, I think gratitude's a tricky one. And it's it's been interesting in the course of the pandemic, I feel like mm. there's been a lot of conversations around, I've heard this term, um, toxic positivity. And I want oh, to yeah. say that gratitude is not pretending things are good when things are not good. <laughs> it's right. noticing when things are good or when they're not good, that there still are maybe a few things that are good that are happening. Um, and when we're able to do this, again, we actually start to activate the parts of our brain that lead us to more creative solutions, whether it's how to manage a pandemic or how to solve difficult problems or, or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So to me, I've been talking about gratitude as like, look, let's not pretend that things aren't really hard or really bad, yeah. but let's also look at what are those little moments, whether it's just, you know, kind of like, as I look over my day, like what were a few nice moments today? Um, mm-hmm. my, my, <laughs> for me, my, my son, I've been trying to teach him how to use the coffee machine so he can make me <laughs> coffee in the morning, right? So he made me a cup of coffee. It was a little water. He felt like, you know, it was like a pretty good espresso. Um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment. So I took a nice uh, bike ride, right? You know, and again, some days there's very little, but, but what happens is it just, it starts to plant the seed. Hmm. And then as you know, what happens cognitively is when we know like at the end of the day that we're going to make a gratitude list or check in with our, our partner or somebody else about, you know, what even just a nice thing or two in the day was, is, is every day now, because we actually do this as a family, every day I'm kind of always unconsciously scanning what's, what we, we do roses and thorns in my family, which is like, what was a rose from your day? What was a thorn? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's a very nice like family activity in my my son's seven. So he's like, let's do a hundred roses so he doesn't have to go to sleep. But you know, that's (laughs) kids. Exactly. Kids do kids things. Right to sleep. I don't know which do we need. Um, But this this it's like my I'm always just kind of filtering. It's like oh, this could be a rose. Like you know, beautiful weather. There's a nice like breeze while I was sitting working on the porch earlier today. This could be a rose. I took a bike ride over to my sister's house. This could be a rose. Um, and it's just always shifting my mind a bit more toward the positive. Mm-hmm. Again, we have this negativity bias. We take in four That's times right. as much negative as we do positive information. Yeah. And so it's not pretending things are bad. It's like, how do we find a balance? Because <laughs> really? mm-hmm. <laughs> we have as much to learn from the good, like as, as, as the bad. And even things like the yeah. pandemic, it's like, yeah, but we, you know, the pandemic was, has been awful and, and all of that, yeah. but also like we did learn how to zoom, even though I showed up on mute, like I still do after, <laughs> but like, you know, I know or, that. <laughs> <laughs> we learned so good things in this time. So, um, yeah. And I think, you know, that can, that can be helpful for us to remember. Um, and, and if it's hard, it can be like, what are some people we're grateful for? What are some foods mm. we're grateful for? You know, I think about this with my kids. It's like, what's something really concrete? You know, who's a person? When did you laugh today? What was the, you know, like, or what are you grateful for about your body? Or what are you grateful for about your family? Or what are you grateful for about school? And of course, these are going to, some people, these are going to be too challenging questions, but other people, these give them a little bit more room to think about. Or when I work with teenagers, you know, I was like, everything sucks. That's why. Life is 
mystery. Everything sucks. Everyone sucks. Yeah. Like, what was the least bad part of your week? <laughs> right? like, that's my question. Like, the least bad part of your week was when? Like in my office? I don't know. Like, like, so. I love it. I love it. You know, I have to say that what I do appreciate of the work you're doing and this response is that it is true that we are pros at focusing on what's wrong and what could go wrong. And evolutionarily speaking, that was helpful then. But there is also something about learning from the sweet moments we have in our day-to-day life. They don't have to be these huge things, but sometimes it's someone saying hi to us. Sometimes it's the text that we get from a friend that we didn't chat for years, right? Absolutely, right, yeah. Or looking at our pets. So I think I love that practicing gratitude is not about denying reality, but it's about choosing to intentionally focus on all these sweet moments that we do have. Right. Right. I love that. Right. Um, Like there was no traffic today or Kishnath Han talks about like, when you have a toothache, all you notice is the toothache, right? But when you don't have a toothache, you never think to remember, it's nice to not have a toothache. Right? <laughs> That's right. You make such a, such a difference, yeah. That's yeah. true. And when is the book going to be published? That'll be out in November. In yeah. November, okay. In November. A special time, a special time. Congratulations. <laughs> that is <laughs> month, exactly. <laughs> Quick favor, and I'm sorry, we're running out of time. Here is a question that is not related to mindfulness or self-compassion. Um, if you were to have a cup of espresso or tea or maybe a beer <laughs> with any person you want today, who will that person be and why? Hmm. Well, I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. Maybe we can hang out sometime. Uh, I would love it. I would love it. Absolutely. I will come back. <laughs> um, gosh, I, there's, there's so many interesting people in this world, and it's often the unexpected ones who you end up having the interesting conversations with. But, um, you know, I'd certainly love to, like, I don't know, sit down and, and chat with the Dalai Lama about his experiences mm-hmm. of overcoming challenges and difficulties um, to become just a, a person who just is overflowing with compassion and kindness, um, how he made that kind of as, as part of his life. There's certainly a lot of creative people and artists I'd also love to, to hear from, but that's a, that's a, I'm going to have to keep thinking about that question. Mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. it though. Thank you. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for making the time to chat and for sharing all your wisdom and insights with the listeners. I, I didn't know you're publishing a book, so I'm grateful for the preview. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And I really, really hope that I can bother you again and we can chat Please. again. Bother me anytime. Sounds good. Um, If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!